0: This Week in Oklahoma Politics on KOSU is sponsored by the State Chamber of Oklahoma.
1: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. The state house unanimously approves legislation putting medical marijuana funds into schools for budget-related improvements. Authors of the Red, Bur- Red Bud School Funding Act say it nullifies the decision by the State Board of Education to settle a lawsuit over charter school funding and fixes disparities in money to both charter and traditional schools. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Senate Bill 229?
2: Well, you know, I think that we kind of anticipated that when... The charter school, when the State Board of Education uh, authorized that settlement, that we were going to see one of two things, a protracted legal battle or a legislative solution before the end of May. I think this means that we're on track to see a legislative solution before the end of May. Um, You know, unanimous support in the House. There's still several steps before this ever hits the governor's desk. And then there's question as to, you know, how the governor is going to respond to this because keep in mind, it was the governor's uh, proxies on the State Board of Education that led to the initial settlement uh, that led to the current situation that we're in right now. So I don't think that there's any guarantee that the governor signs this. I think that if the legislature can come together with all of the groups involved, uh, put a plan, on the governor's desk, I think it would be a mistake for him to walk away from that, uh, for sure. Um, and then, the, you know, the second part of this conversation is, you know, again, we we're starting to see uh, medical marijuana revenue going into things other than regulatory. The regulatory piece for the medical marijuana uh, system in Oklahoma and the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Um, and i I've, I've said time and again. Medical marijuana isn't the same revenue generator that you see with adult use or recreational and other um, in other jurisdictions. Those are the things that really drive large amounts of revenue into the state's coffers for investments and in things like edu- education. But what this does signal to me is that if we begin to tie up uh, some medical marijuana revenue dollars into core services like education, uh, the signal there is that medical marijuana is long for the state of Oklahoma. Uh, because once folks start spending money on it and they get reliant on it it's gonna be really hard to give that up at some point so to me that makes me feel better about the long-term future of medical marijuana in Oklahoma.
1: Neva?
0: Well and I think uh, you're right I mean this targeted investment of 38.5 million uh, to deal with the issues that we just described is a result of having that money available and it's also the result of being able to utilize something that uh, uh, from kind of the technical end of it the mechanics of using what was the uh, public common school building equalization fund that's a long <laughs> a long uh, name but uh, it's something that was put in place by a state question back in 1955 and hasn't been used for decades but again this was a, the vehicle uh, in putting not only the pieces together to make it work and finan- on the financial side but also to get all of the stakeholders the the parties involved uh, all on the same page and I think that was a yeoman's task and you have to applaud uh, uh, you know, representatives um, Baker and, and McBride and Hilbert in particular, uh, you know, l- leaders already uh, in, the, in the, the education committees that they're on and then the appropriations work that they do. And I think that being able to get uh, uh, the state superintendent, the secretary of education, uh, to be able to get all of these folks, uh, including the school boards association, uh, the uh, uh, administrators the Charter School Association Mm -hmm. folks. I mean, you had everyone kind of coming together, uh, all trying to work out a very complex uh, issue and being able to do it in a way that I think, as you said, with unanimous uh, with a unanimous vote in the House, we'll, uh, uh, we'll see if it moves swiftly to the, to the Senate side mm-hmm. and they take action. Hopefully they will
1: because this is something where it's a win-win, it appears right now, across the board. Do you think the governor could have, could you actually use this to say, look, I just actually did this so the, the State Board of Education thing <laughs> So it would light a fire under the lawmakers' feet to do something rather than just waiting for a well, legal action.
0: Well, I, I, think, I think when you see the, the governor's secretary of education, the cabinet mm-hmm. secretary involved in these conversations, uh, clearly uh, a player in the mix. I mean, you have to assume that uh, that the uh, governor and uh, his folks are, are all watching this very carefully and have been involved at least in knowing the details as they have been hammered out uh, in this process, uh, ending, you know, really Wednesday night uh, with the... Uh, with the vote in the House. So, um, I, you know, I think that when you look at trying to correct something, you know, the disparities that, uh, that were clearly there and trying to work it out, uh, not only uh, for just the uh, brick and mortar public schools, but also for the charter schools. I mean, we're talking about this year in education, in the legislature really dealing with an across-the-board look at uh, what uh, what uh, really the people of Oklahoma have said for a long time they wanted were all of these choices on the table wanting the proper funding for all of them to uh, to happen and so I think uh, it's always uh, the details that have to be hammered out and sometimes where the uh, the logjam comes but I think right now when we look at this uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, will follow through the rest of the session and hopefully we we won't see it hit uh, you know hit a, a, a real um, uh, stopgap at this point but I think it's uh, I think it is a very positive sign a very constructive work to try to deal with important education issues
1: EPIC agrees to demands by the state virtual charter school board this all stems from findings by the auditor and inspector last year indicating EPIC's operators might have violated various state laws and the terms of the operating contracts Meanwhile, the State Department of Education is also fining EPIC more than $10 million for being out of compliance with state laws on accounting costs. Neva, will EPIC's move be enough to stop termination proceedings this month?
0: Well, I think uh, I, I think the deal that was struck appears to to be headed that direction, that it'll end, end this uh, termination proceedings. And you know, you have the uh, governing board for EPIC that uh, coming out of a three-hour executive session Wednesday evening, voted unanimously, I think one board member was absent, but uh, They agreed to the final consent agreements uh, that had been uh, given to them the day before uh, by the statewide virtual charter school board. So I think there is uh, clearly an effort to uh, uh, to kind of uh, move past some of this. and I think even though Epic continued to say that they objected to the politic uh, the polit- politicalization of the uh, audit and some of the findings, I think the reality is they're they're having to uh, uh, they're having to really, figure out ways to implement change, deal with more transparency, and address the issues that uh, some of which are still uh, unresolved. But at least at this point, there appears to be a an engagement uh, and a willingness to work on both sides to try to come to some resolution. Now, these fines, I mean, we're talking about uh, the $10.5 million mm-hmm. uh, this week, uh, or the, I think, that was the ten and a half million plus the 11 million. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, fines and, and assessments piling up and, uh, whether or not those can be negotiated down or whether or not, uh, uh, they hold firm to that and they wind up, uh, paying the full amount. Those are the kind of details that I think we have to wait and see,
2: right? Well, and devils in the details, where does that fine money come from? It can't come from money that's dedicated to students. I mean, it's got to come mm-hmm. out of the pocketbooks of the folks that are making millions operating Epic. Um, you know, one of the other details of this uh, is that according to the terms, and this is in the Tulsa world, uh, according to the terms accepted by EPIC, uh, they, they will have to have a statewide virtual charter school board compliance monitor reviewing EPIC's compliance uh, with its operating contract. And this person is also supposed to be able to get access uh, to documents from EPIC's one-on-one learning fund records. Uh, you know, that's something that EPIC is still in court Fighting the state auditor and inspector from even looking at, and so you know now they've got a, a potential agreement on the table that would allow an independent monitor from the uh, from the statewide virtual charter school board to come in and look at these records. Well, to me that asks a lot of questions. You know, what what if you know can this auditor or can this monitor? disclose it to the rest of the world? Can they disclose it to the legislature? Can they disclose that to the state board of education? Uh, could they disclose that to prosecutors, the state attorney general? Um, you know, what, what happens when they find this and then, well, let's say they can't share it with anybody, but then this individual gets to take action. Well, what's that process looks like, look like, uh, you know, do they have any sort of enforcement authority or accountability authority over Epic, or are they just there to look at stuff, but then they can't tell anybody what, what they've seen. Uh, you know, so and, and, you know, a deal like that seems far-fetched, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so without knowing the, the full scope of what this deal looks like, uh, what the parties are going to be obligated to do and turn over, uh, and what kind of enforcement mechanism the state is going to reserve for itself in the event that EPIC doesn't follow through, um, those are the you know, answers to those questions, I think, will determine whether or not this means that the... Uh, the trial that we're looking at in may is going to be on or off
1: norman city council holds a redo in voting on its budget removing funds from the police department this comes after the state supreme court ruled the original vote went against oklahoma's open meetings act the new budget still takes eight hundred sixty-five thousand dollars from the police and puts it into community programs ryan how will this impact the city's police
2: you know i think that um, it depends on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you talk to the Fraternal Order of Police, if you talk to police unions, you know, they tell you that this is devastating. But then if you look at what police unions do every day, they continually put their members at risk. You know, the law, rank and file law enforcement officers, men and women uh, that wear police uniforms in the state of Oklahoma are put into impossible situations uh, with not enough pay and with not enough training by the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. Um, And then the FOP in exchange, the only thing I've been trying to figure out what union membership in FOP actually gives a rank and file officer. And I think what it gives you is uh, if if you are put in an impossible situation and you do something dumb or stupid or reckless and you hurt or kill somebody, the FOP will unequivocally support you. They'll put out press releases in support of you until it becomes politically inconvenient, and then they'll throw you under the bus too. Uh, They'll fight for laws to make it harder to hold cops accountable. Um, But they're really not out there looking to say, how can we make everybody's job better? And that's what I think that the Norman budget tries to do here. It's not a defund the police effort. The police in Norman are still going to get money. They're going to get plenty of money. This is about making sure that there's a full range of tools and services available to uh, both law enforcement and first responders uh, in Norman—at uh, least this is a first step towards that—to ensure that the adequate people are responding to adequate uh, situations with the adequate sort of training, so we can hopefully avoid uh, some of the tragic situations that we've been living through recently. Neva?
0: Well, I think I think what we have is this ongoing fight in the city of Norman. Uh, something that uh, that we saw last summer when they uh, voted to reallocate that eight hundred and sixty-five thousand uh, dollars from the Norman Police Department uh, and uh, use it for other other services, other programs, things that uh, the council, the majority of the council, were more interested in. But it it begs the larger question, and that is, it's a it is a statement, and it is a. A, an approach to governing uh, from the city standpoint that makes it a question of how business friendly it is how 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 much uh, uh, people looking at coming into the community either uh, to uh, bring a business or to uh, bring their family and and uh, reside there whether or not they believe that uh, this type of philosophy on the city council is something reflective of of uh, their own views of what they want to see in city government and so I think it's a much larger question and I think uh, this notion that they tried to uh, uh, the proponents continued to say and had many people speak to the issue again uh, at this council meeting this this week, trying to make the case that that the police always have enough money, that there there's the need for all of these other services. but, Again, it seems like the wiser approach would have been to come up with a a process where all of the parties could have been engaged in the conversation and they could have uh, struck some happy medium rather than making an either or proposition, which is really largely what the community I think views this as uh, either you're pro, you're pro law enforcement, you're pro police or you're anti, and that's a very dangerous uh, approach uh, to uh, uh, c- kind of creating this um, this philosophy that uh, I think uh, can be long-term very damaging for the community.
1: Oklahoma is keeping the case against Sean Bosse after a ruling from the Court of Criminal Appeals. The state is allowed to keep the case while Attorney General Mike Hunter calls on the U.S. Supreme Court to review the case. The pause comes despite the appellate court already ruling the state didn't have jurisdiction after the high court's ruling in McGirt versus Oklahoma last summer. Neva do you think Hunter will win his appeal? Well uh, you know
0: hopefully and I think uh, uh, I think in this instance what we have again is the discussion of how complex uh, all of all of uh, what we're seeing as a result of the McGirt ruling and uh, and this is a perfect uh, this is a perfect example I mean uh, the Attorney General has not disputed applying McGirt to uh, uh, the Chickasaw Reservation Uh, he's uh, instead he's contending that the state still has the jurisdiction over the bossy case because bossy was not a member of any tribe and that that's a that's a significant point so he is wanting uh, he's wanting the the court to uh, uh, to weigh in on this and and clear up the matter and I think uh, I think in the instance of uh, whether or not uh, to have the 45-day pause and and hold uh, and hold Bossie uh, rather than uh, uh, let him go I think uh, I think it was clear that the uh, uh, that the court and the oral arguments uh, uh, felt like that good cause had been made mm-hmm. and that there would be a question of whether or not they would be able to get Bossy back uh, if he was released from custody if in fact uh, uh, you know the Attorney General uh, got the got the uh, ruling that he was uh, hopeful for. So very, you know, very difficult times. I think this is one of many, uh, you know, many of these cases that are out there. And the more and I think the quicker we can see some resolution and clarity on this, the better for all parties involved and better for the legal system at large.
2: Ryan, well, the Attorney General's position with McGurt and uh, during McGirt and, and since uh, has really been, you know, this sky is falling proposition that if we recognize uh, tribal jurisdiction with the major crimes act and general crimes act uh, on these reservations that have never been disestablished um, then we're going to see all of these you know horrible consequences as a result of and that's just you know simply not been the case this bossy uh, appeal is just another example of the attorney general making such an argument i mean here the the attorney general and the district attorney are basically saying that individuals, you know, without some clear uh, test uh, that the court comes up with uh, as to who is and who isn't a tribal citizen, um, you know, if there's not some uniform test that we're going to have these defendants running around claiming to be uh, uh, indigenous people in an effort to avoid state prosecution, um, you know, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals says that this is without any foundation in law um, and that they. Uh, don't that the court refuses to adopt such a test that it's the decision of the sovereign nations to decide how uh, you know, Who is and who isn't a member or a citizen of a of a particular nation? Um, and then the other part of this is that there's not not just the general crimes act, but the major crimes act um, it just the it, the state's assertion of, uh, of jurisdiction here the court says the state argues that they have that they have concurrent jurisdiction with the tribes and the federal government, um, and the court goes on to say, despite the clear language of both statute and case law, uh, federal and state courts uh, that from federal and state courts, the state's wrong here. I mean, there's just really not a winning proposition. You know, the uh, I think that we're going to see this case uh, continue to go in in Bossy's favor to the extent that he. Uh, will be reprosecuted, Then he's not going to be out of prison anytime yeah. soon, if ever, for for these crimes.
1: Oh, and even that begs the question: Why is Oklahoma so interested in making sure they keep this case? It seems like if they hand it over to the federal government, then that's less money they have to spend. That's one less person they have to put away. They. It seems like getting rid of the case would actually be better for Oklahoma.
0: Well, I think uh, at least from what uh, from what the attorney general has uh, said. He really just wants clarification. I mean, he's looking at this on uh, from the standpoint of if the st- whether the state retains jurisdiction over mm-hmm. over uh, non-Indian defendants who commit crimes against uh, Indians on uh, on res- or Indians or reservations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's where it's important to get the clarification. I think he's uh, I think that he's made his case. Uh, and uh, stated, you know, stated what the the uh, uh, the intentions are from the state of Oklahoma standpoint in trying to get and trying to get to some uh, direct direction on this. And again, I think uh, we're seeing so many different uh, uh, so many different arguments, so many different things put forward. I mean, there's no there's there's uh, there, are many, there are as many questions as answers. Once again, and I think while uh, uh, while we're going to see uh, what goes on in Oklahoma continue we're seeing this across the country I mean Mm -hmm. this is not something that is exclusive to Oklahoma and the ramifications are long-term on the legal system uh, not only here but uh, nationwide
1: a state lawmaker wants federal intervention for the Oklahoma County Jail Oklahoma City Democratic Representative Jason Lowe, along with members of the Legislative Black Caucus, want the U.S. Justice Department to take over control of the facility after nearly a dozen inmates have died in the past nine months. Ryan, the jail has already caught the
2: attention of the federal agency. Well, and I think that it deserves uh, even greater attention. I mean, what is happening in the jail right now is a travesty. It is a uh, daily, rolling, ongoing, continuing uh, human rights violation uh, every, every moment that it operates in its current capacity. Um, yeah, and and you know I hope that the Justice Department, I hope that private civil rights attorneys and organizations uh, focus like a laser beam uh, on that facility because it it is clearly not upholding the constitutional rights uh, of the people that are being detained there. And it's important to talk about being detained there. Uh, because, you know, there's a jail prison distinction. Prisons where you go uh, largely after you've been convicted. Jails where you go pre-trial. You know, most of the people, 80% plus of the people sitting in that Oklahoma County jail right now, are there pre-adjudication of guilt. They are as presumed innocent as you or I. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're sitting there largely because of unnecessary bonds that have been put on their release. Their inability to get out uh, because of these bonds. Uh, or fines and fees that then lead to revocation back into to, uh, the jail system. Um, we don't, of course, you know, we need to end cash bail by the legislature. We need legislative reform here. Uh, but judges and elected prosecutors could immediately uh, change that jail and the condition in that jail overnight. Uh, by changing the way that they do ba- uh, do bonds in Oklahoma, we can release an enormous number of the people that are there that ought not be there. They're, they're not there because they're a danger to us. They're not there because they're a flight risk. They're there because they couldn't pay. Uh, and it's kind of disturbing that you might be a flight risk uh, and you might be a danger, but if you got the money to bail out, you're out. And so it's a, it's a pay or play game. And right now we got a bunch of folks that can't pay and they're stuck over there in miserable, terrible, horrifying conditions. So you know, you know, justice department, come on. Legislature, come on. In the meantime, uh, call your local DA, uh, you know, call your, your uh, call your uh, judges, and tell them. You know, stop setting bonds on these folks let them out or there are better ways to get people to show back up to their court appearances
1: Neva
0: well I, it, this is clearly I mean when you have 11 inmates in since uh, July 1 when the jail trust took over that have died I mean that that it gives pause to everyone and I think uh, it raises lots of lots of questions as to where we should go from here I mean the things that uh, Ryan just outlined but there's also been a call for uh, a county sales tax uh, for uh, building a new jail that's something that's been on again, off again in the conversation for years. Uh, uh, the frankly, the uh, so uh, the, the, the residents haven't built, had much yeah. of an appetite yeah. for that. Uh, you know, the idea that the Justice Department uh, could peti- uh, could uh, petition a federal judge to appoint a receiver and take over mm-hmm. the administration of the jail, and that ultimately that might force. Uh, the building of a new jail there are so many questions that continue to linger uh, it is something that at some point uh, every once again everyone has to get to the table and make an earnest effort to try to uh, to try to really fix this not just continue to put a band-aid on it try to come up with some uh, solution that kind of looks like it might be another way to go it might have a, a better opportunity for success but we're not seeing success and we're seeing a jail that is overcrowded with many problems Problems at at every level and and this is very problematic and it's something that it's time I think uh, I think it's time for all of the folks to uh, come together and try to deal with and and I think the animosity and the intensity of just the the negativity that clouds this is not good for the community at large
1: certainly not good for the uh, for the people of Oklahoma County or the state uh, Ryan, you mentioned the district attorneys. Uh, Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater is not running for re-election, so it's an open seat. Mm-hmm. Do you think an election coming up next year, over the next year to 2022, might help this debate, Bill?
2: I mean, we've seen uh, reform-minded prosecutors elected around the country. In, in large metropolitan areas, we've seen them elected in, in smaller jurisdictions as well. You know, I really think uh, that the 2022-2022 District Attorney election for Oklahoma County you know, may be one of the most consequential uh, campaigns, elections for 2022. Uh, you know that individual that gets elected there, uh, if they understand the system, if they understand what drives mass incarceration, if they understand you know what drives public safety outcomes and, and harm reduction, um, and and they're they're thoughtful and invested with with the actual community that that they're working on behalf of, that could be a game changer for Oklahoma County. Uh, because it, And if you change that in Oklahoma County, the Oklahoma County District Attorney's office and the way they prosecute crimes uh, and the way they conduct themselves, that's the, that becomes the model for maybe not every county in the state, but for a lot of counties in the state, they're going to look to Oklahoma County for leadership. And that 2022 election represents a real opportunity for uh, for some folks to step up.
1: Neva and Ryan's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.